to Fangirl Happy Hour for Tuesday, January 27, 2015. On today's show, we will discuss Does Sex Make Science Fiction Soft by Tansy Raina Roberts. This essay was published in the first issue of Anne Candy magazine and is about how much sex in science fiction is too much sex to still claim the science fiction label. After that, it's time for the Hugo Awards, a set of awards given by fans annually for the best science fiction or fantasy works of the previous year. Hugo's season is in full swing at this point, and we'll be weighing in with our thoughts on the discussion so far. Lastly, we'll officially begin our year of Kate Elliott by reading the very best of Kate Elliott, the first collection looking back over her short fiction publication history. With me today to talk about all these things is my fellow fangirl, Brene. Hi, Brene. Hey, Anna. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty... I'm mildly sick, so we're going to apologize to everyone now for any horrible coughing that occurs. I have the plague. It's fine. It's not contagious over the podcast. Oh, good. That's that's good to hear. Well, not that you were sick, but that it's not contagious. Um, so, do you have any news to share? I do have one Ooh. piece of business to Ooh, talk about. Okay. The, last ep- the last episode, um, we just sort of dived in and we didn't really talk about number one our music or number two our oh, art yeah. oh yes which our music actually comes from freemusicarchive.org and I, now i don't have the title available but i'm gonna put it on our website so people who want to find it can find it i just have it on my iphone and i listen to it like a it's really nerd. cool right i love our intro song yeah it's, it's good, just really very good. catchy and then yeah i played it for my uh co-workers that's I share everything with my coworkers, by the way. So I played our intro song, and they were like, mm, I don't get it. And I'm just like, you are all wrong. <laughs> That's a good reaction, because our music <laughs> is really good. I know, right? And yeah, the second I- is our art. Um, our art is by Ira Gladkova. They are an artist, illustrator, editor, writer, freelancer. I, I don't know, they do a lot of different things. I've known Ira since 2006. You can thank them for One Piece, by the way. Cause that's, oh, right. Yeah, because they got me into One Piece. It's all their fault. They are available at justera.tumblr.com. They're always open for commissions. Our artwork is amazing. It's amazing. I love it. I love the neon sign. I, I, are you going to get a neon sign for your bedroom? Because I'm going to get one for my bedroom. I'm debating because I really like that... I really like the little fangirl thing. It would be so cool. Which was totally no. not me. That was totally era completely, that whole idea. No, the the thing with the glass and, and the happy hour coming out of the glass is like a drink. It's really cool. It's better. Like, the first draft was great because when I showed it to several people, they were like, does that say come girl on it? I'm like, oh, <laughs> We need to fix that. No, awesome. it is true. That was yeah. That was my first reaction as well. I was like, this fan sound looks slightly like calm. That's probably not a good idea. Oops. <laughs> that, no, thankfully it worked out. That's why you have multiple rounds of edits. Strategy avoided. Yes. yes. So, and that no, that's it for business. Uh, I'll link to all of these in our show notes. Okay, excellent. So let's dive in. Yeah. In the November-December 2014 issue of Uncanny Magazine, Fancy Rena Roberts wrote the essay, Does Sex Make Science Fiction Soft? This essay starts with the question, how much kissing and flirting can a story take before it doesn't deserve to be called science fiction anymore? It then proceeds to examine and challenge science fiction's uncomfortable relationship with romance. So, Renee, you read the essay. 
Yes. What did you think? I liked it. I actually didn't really identify so much with the other stuff. I went to the part where she was talking about romance fiction and how she kind of brushed it aside because of like internalized misogyny. I'm like, that's totally me. That's definitely me. Right. That is really interesting. Um, I, I think I can say that I, I had that as well at some point. But it's interesting that I came into science fiction from romance. So I actually started as a romance reader at one point in my life when I decided not to listen to those internalized voices. Um, so I started reading a lot of romance and then I started to read a lot of paranormal romance, which is nothing less than romance and fantasy together. And then I started to read a lot of um, science fiction romance. And then and then I jumped into science fiction and fantasy without romantic elements. It was the other way around for me. So that the whole thing of disregarding science fiction that has romance never really was my thing. So it's kind of an alien concept for me. And for me, I started with, I did Sweet Valley, I did Babysitter's Club, I did uh, these little books called Love Stories. They were like a, like a, a, fr- a franchise, a book franchise. I guess you can have those because that's not mostly what my library carried. My library was a one room building, one room. It was the size of like a small apartment. It was really, it was really tiny. And like looking back now, I'm just like, wow, that was really small. No wonder I didn't get to read a lot of books for my, like my age group. Cause there just wasn't room. I read all those 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 romance books that were, you know, geared to my age group. And unlike, I think, other, other people, I didn't really go toward fantasy or science fiction at that point. I I mean, I sort of did. I read, I read a lot of like, really awful Pierce Anthony books. There's okay. one I got really attached to, which I can't remember the authors for. I know Pierce Anthony was involved, I think. Uh, it's called Through the Ice. <laughs> it's really bad. Uh, it's probably not in print anymore. It's so terrible but even now i went and found that book on like book mooch or something i like looked for two years for that book until i found it i'm like i'm a nerd it's it's really bad i totally want you to read this book now but i went from like those romance sweet valley romances and stuff to fanfic i just skipped i went directly i went directly to science fiction and fantasy fanfic and that's where i stayed for quite a while i mean i would branch out and read some Science fiction, science fiction and fantasy. It got popular, but mostly I was reading fanfic from the end of high school until now. I never, I never quit. <laughs> Not really. So, so yeah, this whole idea that does sex make science fiction? I guess to some dude who's afraid of sexuality, maybe. But it's always sex has always been a part of the science fiction and fantasy I read. Because even if it was fanfic, it was still you know it was Harry Potter fanfic or Final Fantasy fanfic. Okay. Stargated Atlantis fanfic. It was always, I mean, even when I did contemporary fandoms that had fanfic written about them, I was still in those, you know, SF fandoms that were writing fanfic stories. I'm thinking one of her examples was um, Lois McMaster Bejold and how she has uterine replicators in, yes. her, in her fiction. And immediately when I read that in her essay, I thought about the story I read when I first got into SGA fandom. A story by Astolat, where John and Rodney, who are the two main characters in SGA, 
where they put their hands on this machine and it like samples their DNA and they have a baby. Okay. It's no, the story is really good. I promise. <laughs> yes. I'm going to make you read it now. You're stuck. So I guess that kind of removed the sex from that story, right? Uh, no, not at all. Because later they, okay. it was like a story oh, about. Oh, it. Okay. Uh, no, they was, it was totally a shit fic. They just used the, it's like a thing where they get together later. You really need to read the story. I'm going to make you now. You can't escape. I don't even think you need the canon to read that story. But no, that's what it made me think of. Like. I mean, and that's the fr- and that, I've seen that I saw that trope in fanfic before I've before I've seen it in any of the science fiction and fantasy that I read, like the original stuff, like okay. some of these tropes that she talked about. All those tropes I found in fanfic first. It's always been a part of my SF reading experience because I guess I just wasn't reading enough original SF. It's interesting. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was. Um... It was, well, when I was reading the article, right, um, I kept thinking, who who cares about it? Who reads a book and then goes, yikes, romance? Um, lots of dudes that we know that are currently active in the fandom, actually. Ooh, romance. Ooh. They have tags for it. They call it chiclet. And they oh, dismiss yeah, that's it. That's true. I remember that as well. And that's not like that's not that's not an that's not isolation. People like men do that all the time, and they do it without realizing that they're doing it. I think. I thought I thought that she made a distinction as well about um, what is hard science fiction, and, and it was that point where someone looks at a story and goes, oh, "I I really like this piece of equipment here, and I don't really like this relationship side." So do you do you agree with that? Like um, that, that that's the the difference or the definition between the between hard sci-fi and soft sci-fi. It's just like because I would look at it from another perspective. I would say that hard sci-fi is more plot-driven, maybe, and then the soft sci-fi more relationship-driven or character-driven. You know, without it being that separate, really, because you can have hard sci-fi with awesome characters and good relationship and, and, and the other way around as well. I think uh, what I'm trying to say is that those sex make science fiction soft. No, really, it should be it should make it hard. Ha <laughs> ha. Did you just make that joke? You did. I did. I, it was enough. We me. made it two episodes before have, there was a cock joke in this in this you show. Should have seen it coming. I was like, that's I was, amazing. I, I, I thought we. Were... To, I was trying to just stick it in there for a while now, and I made it anyway. Yes. So this whole thing. <laughs> oh, oh my god! It's like how can I how can I not make that joke? Because it, you know, it's a stupid question. I'm not obviously I'm not calling Tansy Rayner Roberts stupid because that's not her asking that question, but it is a stupid question in itself for me. I just does sex make science fiction soft? What does that even mean? You know, people people are what make the world. So people are what make a good story. So for me when you and you when you look at something as elemental as sex or romance or any other aspect of a relationship and then you say this is awful i don't really understand that here's some things that i would classify as hard sf mj locks up against it okay but that book has a lot of relationship it really does right but that i would i can't get through that book that book is too hard for me to get through 
And it's because of all, like, the the science and the computer stuff. I can't get through it. I've tried four times to read that book. It is too hard for me. And I know, I'm sure it's good because I like the parts, the relationship parts where people are interacting with each other. Those are great. I'm like, this is, like, the main character. I really liked her. But oh, she's the- amazing. Yes. But, like, the other parts, the parts with this computer pro, I'm just like, ah, oh, my brain hurts, and I'm tired, and I'm going to go read Steve and Tony making out for three and a half hours. <laughs> That's exactly how I react. You know? And it's not the fault of the book. It's me, but... That's a hard SF book, even if it has relationships. Another book yeah. that's hard SF, Spin by Robert Charles Wilson, which is a romance. That book's a romance. But it's also hard SF. Right. So, one, well, yeah. well, that was, I think, the um, the only hard SF that I read this year was The Three-Body Problem. And you said it was bad at character. It was bad at character. It was sorry. It didn't make it a bad book. Not for me. But it was really bad at character, that characterization. And there was quite not a lot of relationships or anything that was really well-developed or to the point that where I think it has been well-developed. But it was still a good book, like I said. Um, My problem with this question is that it requires people who read romance, i.e. women, to generalize. It requires women to take up like this defensive position about about caring about relationships. That's the problem I have with this question. That's the problem I have with it. Inherently, it it puts us at a point, at a place where we have to stake out ground. And like, that's not really, that's where, that's where people are going to come from when they're like, well, this can't be hard SF because people have sex in it. Well, okay. Enjoy your really reductive version of science fiction and fantasy. Like even the like even the classic SF that I've read has relationships in it. So where is this coming from? Is this like a new thing? I I don't know. That division sounds just very forced to me. This whole conversation just sounds really. I don't understand it. Oh, I do understand it, of course, because you know I I have I have been experienced things in this field for a while now, so I know what's this all about but from personally speaking i just i don't i just don't get it like is it coming out of this whole move to like put things in the girl box and the boy box so it's easier to market them well like she says there are there are women who also ask that question who who also um have that reaction i mean yeah i was one of them but i grew i grew out of it after i got old enough i think I think if you, I mean, you can't exist on Tumblr, and that's like internalized misogyny 101. Like, you get smacked down, and I'm sure people still have it. But, like, as soon as you start reading more widely, that gets challenged, and it gets taken apart. And, I mean, I understand what's coming from with the women, because with women, you are, you're just indoctrinated with this idea that your interests, the interests, the interests of women, the interests of things that involve emotion period emotion are not as valuable as like rational uh, in quotes rational like dude behavior like you're just it's 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 poison for you so you have to undo it later so i understand where that's coming from but like i just don't understand are there still men in fandom who are actually making this argument is that where like where is this coming from that's what i want to know like where are they i don't know are are they real I I haven't seen it, but 
I, I also, I think it's worth saying that, you know, sometimes people just really don't like to read about romance and characters. And it's totally fine as well. No, there's plenty of space. The idea is that we had to be shoved out of an, no, an entire yeah, category yes, of science fiction. Divided, yes, exactly. So there, like, it's like if we even even inhabit it, we're sullying it. Is, is that what? Is that it? I just this yeah. question just really confuses me. No, I know, and I think that also there's that there's that another thing that would I feel myself being defensive about is the romance aspect as well in the in the way that okay so there is let's say there is a hard science fiction there is soft science fiction and then people say oh soft science fiction is just romance novels or just sci-fi romance you know and i don't want to be defensive about it either because science fiction romance is actually a very important thriving subgenre of romance and it's totally okay and I don't want to take that from them as well, from, from that subgenre. There is actually a really good um, blog called The Galaxy Express that is only about science fiction romance. And it's just, it's, it's really interesting. They have essays, they have reviews, and they talk about a lot of books. So I highly recommend that one. Actually, if you are listening to this and you want to read more about science fiction romance, this is the blog to go. But yes, so I, I'm really... I, I worry about that as well a little bit in, in the way that I worry about many things. I no longer worry about, like, I mean, I say that, but I, that's a lie. I worry about everything. Yes. <laughs> but this question to me, um, the answer, it's a rhetoric, like, it's obviously a rhetorical question. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the only right answer is no. No. <laughs> and if you say yes, well, then your opinion no longer matters to me. <laughs> because there's space, like, if hard SF is the only thing, if hard SF is only about like gadgets and mag- like shiny MacGuffins and there was a, my partner read this book series by Henu Rajanimi I think his name is pronounced hopefully and he was like this is the weirdest crap I've ever read he but he enjoyed it but when I tried to read those books I was like this why do why do I care about these people I don't but the thing is, there's room for those books, but there's also room for Spin, which was about relationships, and Hard SF both, which I love Spin. It was great. And I'm sure there's other Hard SF books I would like if I could get over my fear of feeling like an ignorant jerk every time I picked one up, which up against it really did not help with that. I was like, well, I'm done with this book, and I don't know how to go back or try anything else because I feel like I'm going to be made out to be an idiot again. I don't like feeling like that when I read, which is mostly why I don't read that stuff. But there's room for both. So why is this question even being posed? Exactly. I don't know. Does anyone know? Does, is that that's why she wrote the essay, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> to figure to figure out to figure it out. So do you have any any recommendations of good science fiction with romance or good science fiction with relationships? I made a list. I don't have, I don't, I don't think I read enough. I don't read widely enough yet. I'm working on it. I mean, I... Tandy's essay has a bunch of recs. So what are your recs? Uh, I would, uh, recently, I would mention Ascension by Jacqueline Konayagi. It's in space, it's in a spaceship, and it's, and it has a very strong, um, 
side of, of romance there and it's uh, polyamorous romance as well which is awesome there is the paradox series by rachel barr which is you no know, aliens um save the world and also shag your co-worker that's an awesome. excellent series space excellent yes. series i highly yeah. recommend that one yes i read yeah, that one it's, it's good uh, it starts with fortune's pawn Another one is, and then I read quite a few last year, actually, that were really, really good science fiction, not necessarily with romance, but more, much more character driven and about relationships between people, you know, not necessarily romance, like I said. So there's Lagoon by Nidhi Okurafer, that was excellent. Secret Star by Susan Jane Bigelow. Um, Mars Evacuees by Sophia McDougall. They are all excellent science fiction with their character-driven. See, I think I'm mostly reading in fantasy right now with that stuff. Like, I'm reading um, Maggie Stavater's The Raven Cycle, yeah, which is not romance in the particular even though the bar makes you they put it in the girl box um so they market it a certain way but it's definitely about like, multiple types of different relationships generational relationships too um then i'm reading obviously i'm diving into kate elliott's backlist and she writes about sex and romance and attraction in like really excellent ways so obviously i think i'm just doing it in fantasy right now and not really in science so fiction. is there is there an equivalent to this discussion within fantasy, is there such a thing as hard fantasy and soft fantasy? That's a good question. I don't know. I've never ever heard anything like this in fantasy. It's always been in science fiction. Maybe but, somebody but, can correct it. Correct us. I don't but, know. No, but, but I think there's there's also that that thing where women write fantasy and they are not as well regarded as their male counterparts because they whatever include a lot of sex or romance in their books as well i've heard that but dudes but dudes do it dudes write romance all the time in their books and they, they do, don't get, they don't get called yeah. out for it because generally the dude the woman is i mean tansy covered this in her essay yes she she covered everything in her essay basically so just go read it it's and, excellent yeah it's excellent we'll include a link in our notes as well it's the Hugo season. The Hugo Awards are an award given by members of the World Science Fiction Society at the annual award count to popular science fiction and fantasy content or science fiction and fantasy fans participating in fandom. This year, like every year, there's already drama over the Hugos as people start discussing potential nominees, launch campaigns for their favorites, and try to figure out what categories things they want to nominate are eligible in. Right, so, Renee, Hugo Awards. You are always very invested in the Hugo Awards. So what are your thoughts about it this year? Everybody writing essays going, this debate starts earlier every year is fantastic for me. I'm just like, <laughs> so you're writing a post about it, are you? To complain about how it starts earlier every year? Okay. <laughs> it cracks me up. It's great. I know. It's like, it's so meta. And I really enjoy that. I don't really think so much. I don't know. I don't think so much about that. I'm really invested. Yeah. But I don't really think so much about the, bit, about the debates anymore. Um, number one, I find the don't make, don't make, authors shouldn't make eligibility posts because it's tacky and ruins everything. Pretty ridiculous when, when you're discussing a popular award. I got into it with some dude over last year 
where he was like, you can't complain about it, and then complain when people do it, and then he linked to my, tum- my Tumblr post about it, and I was like, okay, because that's exactly what I was saying. I don't, because last year, those people created, like, a flat ballot. Like, they created a flat ballot in a group, in public, and then they had a bunch of people join and submit th- that flat ballot. That is pretty crappy. Authors putting their eligibility posts up is not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And if you try to pretend it's the same thing, you're being pretty disingenuous. Yes, I agree with that. Um, I also also find it really interesting how those uh, posts always go the same way as well. That you you should remember everything you want to include and you shouldn't need to be remembered or be reminded by people because one of the things for eligibility posts is, 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 is where, um, you are reminded of what people have out there, right? So you're reading your favorite author, you're reading other blogs, and people are reminding you of all the things that are out there. And I need that. I need that. Today, I was trying to remember my top 10 books of last year, and I couldn't remember. I had to go to the blog and see what they were. I have a terrible memory. I read over 130 books every year. There's no way I can remember everything. And especially with short fiction, this argument really bothers me. Oh, because yes. I'm right now. I'm I'm reading like one piece of short fiction from 2014 a day. If I do that up until the Hugo's to decide what I want, what I want to nominate, that's a lot of short fiction. These stories are not that long or I'm sorry to say that memorable when you're reading them in you know a big chunk if they have memories like that congratulations I'm so happy for you that you can remember that but I can't do it no neither can I um and and I don't think it's fair to expect most people to be able to either here's what I hear when I see these posts going, author eligibility posts are bad, and campaigns are bad, and bad, bad, bad. I hear the Charlie Brown teacher noise. <laughs> and I go, how dare you encourage people to join this club? That's what I hear. Well, that's... The Hugos have always been very small, and very not... I mean, they're still relevant in a larger culture, but, like, in, in my side of fandom, no. Not really. People talk about them. But now, like, they're being opened up and more people are coming in. And what I see is people getting mad because they're losing this little insular community they have. And that's really kind of shitty. I know it's it's interesting that you say that because it it is it is what I what I've been seeing more and more. It's it's, more people talking about it. More people talking about different things as well. Because if you look at ballots from previous years before this whole conversation has started to develop and expand more and more, and you see you always see the same people over and over, especially in the fandom categories, right? So uh, in the fan 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 awards like fanzine and podcasts and and things like that and now you see more people being talked about different people being talked about and i think that it's really interesting and i think this is a good thing and i think it generates other kinds of discussions as well right so for example even with the sad puppies thing right so the sad puppies is for those who don't know i'm really envious that you don't know about this <laughs> it's uh yeah it's um it's a group of 
um, authors and fans. Who, Mostly right wing. Let's not leave that out. Yes. Okay. Um, who get together, and this is the third year that they are doing this, as I think. Um, and they put together a ballot, and they, uh, you know, suggest that their fans and their followers all nominate the same ballot, because and and mind you, the people on in that ballot are all right wing or what they call popular authors. Nothing against popular authors either. Of course, you can have quality and popularity, and those are also part of the ballots of most of us who are talking about the Hugos. But what I find really interesting is how they say, these sad puppies people, how they say that the, the Hugos have been taken over by ideology, as though what they are doing is not at all. That's ridiculous. But, you know, but it also generates discussion. And I think, you know, from our side as well, and we talk about all of those things, and we talk about what we want in the field, what we want from this community, and I think that's a good thing as well. I mean, they could have their discussion. I'm just going to stare at them and laugh a lot because they don't, they don't seem to know what they sound like when they publish entries on their, on their blogs. I hilariously, my editor friend, I would, I linked them to some stuff that some of these blog posts that were written, the sad puppy stuff. And three, like legit three seconds later, they came back and like I can't read that. That's terribly written. Who 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 approved that? Is that a is that a published author? Why are they? Why can't they write? I was like I just cried, cracked up like five minutes. I'm like oh god. Well, sorry, Brad. You apparently can't write nonfiction very well. <laughs> I, I mean I feel kind of mean laughing about it. Like Lord knows I'm not the greatest writer that ever lived. I'm still pretty bad at writing. I have to work really hard at being good at writing. I just kind of wish there requests to fill the Hugo ballot with actual valid, valid popular authors who are selling well and have the right politics. We're just better presented with less logical holes. I mean, that's not, I would, I would like for them to keep writing them. It's very entertaining, but I would also like them to be better written. Maybe that's asking too much. So that's how I feel about that whole sad puppies debate. I just, I just find it, Amusing. They're going to continue doing it, whether or not I complain about it, whether or not they get well, censured I'm, over I'm, it. I'm curious to see whether they are going to make it again this year, like they did last year. Well, there are a bunch of laughing stars after last year. I don't understand. Like they, they did so poorly. Well, they, well, they still made the ballot, which is what what they want, isn't it? Well, I guess, but this is a really to prove a point. It's really a poor way for history to remember them. This, I don't think in 20 years when the Phantom of that era, however it exists on whatever virtual or random existential platform it exists as, looks back at these ballots, at these stats. I don't think they're going to remember that these dudes were trying to make a political point. I think they're going to look back and be like, wow, that's embarrassing. Really? <laughs> well, maybe nobody was going to be talking about the Hugo Awards in 20 years' time. That's also true. It might become... Irrelevant. That's possible. I mean, there's it's, other stuff happening with you. Know, it's not just sad puppies. Like, there's really good yeah. things happening too. Yes, 
lots of posts, lots of um, like that that blog that you recommended. Oh, Chaos, Chaos Horizons. Chaos Horizons. Yeah, he's been doing the study uh, for several months about trying to predict uh, what's going to be on the ballot for the Hugo and Nebula using like stats from Goodreads, just based on popularity. And so he's using some other data too, like best of lists. Um, other, he's looking at, I think maybe he's looking at other awards lists. I'm not quite yes. sure. Um, but no, it's really fascinating to see him like just just use like raw numbers, to, like push things up. And it's, it is really interesting. It's kind of disheartening though to see what he thinks will be making the ballot this year because there isn't a lot of women there. Yeah. There's it's, only Anne Blackie. Yeah, it's very discouraging. But also, I mean, he's got Goblin Emperor somewhere up there. And um, I think he's moved uh, Emily St. John Mandel up for Station Eleven a little bit since she had a really good, like, haul. Like, she like she was in the Goodreads thing. Like, right. the final thing, she, she added a lot of readers. I read her book because I was like, okay, this sounds neat. It's really good. And it's totally on my ballot now. Okay. So I'm kind of curious how the community, because whether or not we recognize it, our community is really small. And so I'm just kind of like, and even though we're small, we're, we have a lot of influence on this award because we're the pretty much the only ones who care. So I'm kind of wondering what, how the community is going to change those numbers. Because since he's not taking into account those numbers, no, he can't predict that. So we have to also imagine what, um, the social movement is going to do to his suggested, his yes, suggested ballots. that would be really interesting. Because, I mean, are there, like, any active... Because I don't know what people mean by campaigns, exactly. Like, as me, as a blog who gets, like, 20 visitors a day, posting my nominations, a campaign for those things? So what's, what well, is a campaign? Well, I guess if your followers also post their posts and have been influenced by yours but i don't know it's just word of mouth isn't it well what the, what the, the will of tom fans did was obviously a campaign right yes. that that was definitely a campaign no yes yes you you do this and you vote for this and let's do this that is it's different so so maybe yours is not yours is more Mine's a campaign, and everybody's campaigning for the stuff that they like by mentioning it. Yeah. But that seems like a really lackluster type of campaign to me. And I know there was going to be, and I mean, I joke about it. Like, I think me and Liz, Liz Burke, we joked about the Gallant Emperor and how we were going to campaign 2015 for that book because we loved it so much and wanted it to get all all the awards, all of them piled on top of it because it was wonderful. But, like, we... But I mean, then we both mention it, and we'll both nominate it. But is that really a camp? Is that really a campaign? I don't really think so. I mean, maybe somebody's going to get influenced, but it's way different than like going to somebody and be like, "Okay, this is the last chance. We have to get this on the ballot. Let's go. Let's all vote for this one." That's really different, right? It's different yes. than being like, "Okay, these are the books I'm nominating. I'd like you to read them if you have it, and then maybe consider them." It's, it just feels super different to me. Yeah. No, I agree. Okay. Yes. No, you are right. Yes, I love that. I'm going to put that as a ringtone. <laughs> so the one thing that I would love for it to happen would be to have a YA book for best novel up there. No. But I don't think there are there is any no. with enough readership to make it. Here's what you need to do, Anna. What do I need to do, Tom? You need to wait for the last Raven Cycle book to come out. 
and then do the series thing. And then we need to start a, then we need to campaign. Us together, we could do it. That could okay. happen. It's I haven't read that yet, but okay. I you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna I don't know if you're gonna be happy I with yourself or mad at yourself here. when I, when you finally read the series because you're gonna be like, I missed out on this. Yeah, because yeah. I already know how you're gonna react. I have the three books here waiting for the final one and then boom, it's gonna happen. I really that's, that's I, my, I, that's I would, my plan. I really wanted to see Cuckoo Song by Frances Harding there, but I don't think it's going to happen because also it has only been published in the UK so far. Yeah, so that, I think that, that Lagoon might... too. Lagoon's going to struggle that way as well. I know. I'll, although I've heard great things about it, I've, I really wanted to read really it. It's really good. It, we would, I I would like to put that on my mallet. But I think it'll be eligible next year because it comes out in the US. So it'll... I know, but this is the thing, right? I was reading the rules today. So the rules say that officially a book is only eligible on the year that it's first published. But there is a loophole in which every convention can break their rule should they wish to, to make it also eligible on the year that it's been published in the US. Uh, yeah, but, but I think they mostly listen from to... from year to year, and you need to be able to know this somehow before nominating your... But mostly they go with what the fan. I mean, generally they go with what the fans want. I'm still bitter over Mary Robinette Kowal's story that one year. Uh, so generally they go with what the fans want. Generally, okay. don't they? Like they just like it's it's a fan award. The fan if and next year yeah, if the fans right? decide yes. Lagoon is great, let's all we're all gonna nominate it. Surely the I mean I don't say I mean whatever I don't know internal politics of Hugo committees. They all they change every year, so who knows? But I would just think that if the fans said yes, this book, they would they would invoke that rule. But then, as proven, they the one Hugo committee didn't, so we have to keep in mind that they have that power. Yes, I think that would increase Lagoon's chances for next year. Then it's being published by Saga Press, isn't it? Yes, another one. It's it's brilliant. I looked at their. I went to actually look at their what they're coming up with. I'm like, wow, guys, you're really scooping people up. I know. I cannot wait. Hugo's 2016 every book on the ballot is a soccer press title. That'd be funny. I wonder if that's ever happened. Like, I mean, has that ever happened? I wonder. Like, in the, like, I mean, in the old, like, in the past, maybe, because there's had, maybe there wasn't that many publishers, but then, like, I wonder if... A year tour of, was only tour, or I mean that's go, that's that's shaping up to happen. Tour dot com with the oh, short yeah, fiction, with the short stories, yes. Not just short stories, but I like I feel like all short fiction eventually yeah. it's just gonna be just gonna be like tour, 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 all in on the list. Maybe book smugglers publishing <laughs> one day. P.S. Book smugglers publishing is eligible for best in your prison. Prison. I'm not asking. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm very helpful. Thank you. I'm your greatest campaigner. <laughs> Not campaigner, word of mouth, remember. Okay, that's fair. Yes, Anna, you should talk about your best novel nominees. Okay, so I am going to be nominating uh, Ancillary Sword. Surprise. Surprise. That actually, Surprise. Might go on my, that actually might go on my ballot. I finished it the other day. It's amazing. It's better than the first one. Bye. Why? Because it has more relationships. No. 
but not enough romance. There's no romance at all. And I wish there was some romance. Let's not go there. Anyway, <laughs> ancillary sword and lackey. Uh, I'm going to be including three body problem as well. Goblin Emperor. I will include Cuckoo Song. And then for the last one, I'm torn. I don't know if I'll include Lagoon or if I'll wait until next year. I don't know. I still need to think about the last spot there. Well, mine, mine are spoiled already, unfortunately. Because I've already talked about them. Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. And The Gollum Emperor by Catherine Addison. Although, Joe Sherry on Twitter did warn me, because I talked about it in my post about how I should read some other stuff and not just automatically nominate Lock In by John Scalzi. He said, I should do that because it's, it's you know, it's voting, it's popular vote. So if I leave it off thinking he'll be, he'll get there and I might be the vote that decides that he doesn't make it to the ballot. Right. So now I'm not like I'm torn. So I'll probably like, I'll, I'm probably going to put Insular Sword and Lock In on my ballot, but I don't know about that last spot yet because I'm reading City of Stairs at this current time. Are you enjoying it? I was told I wasn't going to have to take a lot of notes by somebody who lied to me viciously. But it's a fantasy novel, and I'm just bad with fantasy names. I'm bad with them. And so I have to write all, like, the names down, and I have to take notes, and I have to refer to who people are. I have to, like, draw lines. I have a very complicated system of note-taking for fantasy novels. So it's more complicated than I thought, so it's taken me a while to get into it. But so far, it's really good. And I'm actually kind of excited that there's a sequel, because I'm like, this world, it's pretty cool. It is. I really I really liked that book. So I don't know. Maybe. But then I also have tons of other. I have a lot of books still to read for this. We have until March, so I'm not going to rush. So um, my ballot could inevitably change for best novel. I haven't watched a lot of movies last year. But I know one movie I'll be nominating it's Maleficent. Yeah, everybody everybody has talked about that on their ballots. I think Jodie's nominating that, right? Yes, she is. I That was one of my favorite... No, actually, let me rephrase that. That was my favorite movie from last year. Yes, Renee, I did say that. It was not Captain America the Winter Soldier. <laughs> this is so sad. <laughs> Do you want to stop this podcast now? I quit. No, it's fine. <laughs> Maleficent was good. I liked it. Uh, I had a little problem with it. It didn't feel like it knew what it wanted to be until the last 20 minutes. But it's fine. It's a really, really, it's a really well done film. Oh, I love that so much. Beastie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I loved it. I don't even like Angelina Jolie. Or, should I say, I didn't like Angelina Jolie up until that movie, and now I love her. So. She's a really good actress. Yes, I realize that now. Have you watched Snowpiercer yet? Uh, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer, yeah. Oh, yes, I have. Yes, actually, yes, I have watched that one. It's yeah. probably going to make my ballot as well. It's really... It's something. <laughs> it's something. I've... Yeah, it's really long pause. That's yeah, like... a good summary of that movie, actually. Yeah, it's like, come from Chris Evans. And stay for the cockroaches. <laughs> and the, Ew, the oh, gross. And it's like, gross. Oh. <laughs> like, okay, wow. This is not what I paid for. Oh, we've got to move on. This is gross. 
Right. You can nominate for the Hugos if you were a member of last year's LongCon, if you have a support membership or full membership for this year's Worldcon. Nominations period are already open. Note that Fangirl Happy Hour is not eligible this year for Best Fan Cast, but it will be next year. Wink, wink. <laughs> okay, okay. Kay Elliott is a science fiction and fantasy author who is best known for her massive, creative, and sprawling epic fantasy tales full of fantastic characterization, politics, gender shenanigans, and ladies going on heroic adventures. She has three books coming out this year, and today we are going to talk about the first of those. The Very Best of Kate Elliott collects her short fiction and her essays and will be published on February 10. So, Renee, tell me everything. Tell you, you all have- my feelings about this Yes, you have complicated feelings you were telling me? Yes, I do have so Okay, I'm bad at short fiction. I'm terrible at short fiction. I often don't get it. I don't know why I should care about the characters, etc., etc., etc. And also, I couldn't finish this book because I read one of the, like I started reading one of the short stories in one of her it was a story set in one of her series, and I started reading it and I realized I just spoiled myself for the series. And I'm so upset. I didn't get to read all the stories because some of them were set in series I haven't finished yet. There were several stories I just didn't touch because I was so terrified of spoilers. I think I read two of the ones that were from series that she's written in. So that's my my conflict about this collection is that I just completely missed the spoiler warning because it actually tells you. It tells you the title is like a a so-and-so story, but I just missed it and I just started reading. And I was reading along, minding my own business, going, this is going to be great. I'm excited. And boom, spoiler. And I'm like, no, no, that's terrible. I didn't want to know that. So. That's interesting. I don't care about spoilers. Yes, I I know. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care about being spoiled. So I read everything. I read everything, even though I haven't read most most of the series yet. I loved it. I loved every single story. I loved the characters, I loved the worlds, I loved how varied this collection is in terms of the types of stories it includes. Uh, You know, you have fantasy, you have science fiction, you have stories with elements of horror, you have romance, you have sex, and you have torture, and you have magic, and it's just, I was completely in a word with it and i i just obviously the the greatest biggest point of of this collection is the how it is focused on female characters you know in the introduction she talks about stories being written uh with women being heroic women doing things women just living their lives to the fullest regardless of what exactly do they do in life and uh and i felt that all of those stories combined just just provided this whole tapestry of female characters that were amazing technically you could subtitle this anthology like like the very best of kate elliott if you don't pay attention to the ladies you're fucked that could literally be a subtitle to this anthology because every like all the stories I did read were like, wow, maybe if you paid attention to the woman, you wouldn't be dead. <laughs> <laughs> so no, 
Uh, I think I'm conflicted about the spoiler aspect. I really did like most of the stories. Obviously, with short fiction, it's hit or miss for some things because I just don't get them. I have a lot of trouble engaging with really short pieces if I don't know the characters already, which really makes me upset. I really wish I had finished more of her work. <laughs> I could have read more of the stories without being terrified I was going to be spoiled for the series. Because if I get spoiled for the series, I might not finish the series, and that would just be depressing. Oh, wow. So, yeah, spoilers are not good for me, because I'm just like, well, I know it already, so why bother? Welcome. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I'm really weird. So, what were your three favorite stories out of the whole thing? Oh, my God. How, what were my... Okay, so I Pop loved... quiz! Favorite stories! Okay, so I loved the ones in the Crown of Stars series. I loved the, the first one, which is the ride in the shore of the River of Death. I thought that that's the first one in the in the collection, and it's it's about this girl who is supposed to have this role, this predetermined role in life, and she's gonna do this, and she's gonna get married to this person, and then she finds a different path to follow. And I just I I loved that story, and um, the other one that's also in the Crown of Stars is a simple guy. Simple Act of Kindness, which is exactly that. Simple Act of Kindness is also about a woman finding her place in life under her own rules. Um, the other one that I liked, and I didn't think that I had liked it at the time that I read it, was The Gates of Jurium. I think that's how he would say it which is this story about this woman who is locked in a cage outside a castle. And to begin with, she, we don't know why exactly she's there or how long she's been there for. And this, this whole story is about this woman in this cage, right? And she keeps thinking about her past and how she got there. But at first I felt, well, where is the agency of this person? And I think this is a really interesting point of the story that is exactly that. It's just that something that happens to that woman, to her, not out of her own actions. But then it is from her perspective, and that makes all the difference. So that really stayed with me, that story. And, uh, and then I loved all of the essays. My three were... You share one with me, which which is actually my second one. My first one actually is the leaf and branch and grass and vine, where a woman who like she has a family and she lives in a small town who's kind of being plagued by these, I guess, warlords. They're being plagued by the warlords, and the only person who can kind of keep control is this general who she finds wounded in the woods. So she saves him and then goes on a quest to uh, get him returned to his family. There's two reasons I like this story the best. Number one, it feels like there's some gender stuff happening in it. I would need to probably need to reread it, but it actually feels like there's some gender stuff going on that I didn't really catch until the very end. And then number two, it's just this woman randomly going on a quest. And, and being really witty. Yes. And it was really just, clever. Yes, right? it was super I entertaining. I was like, I just kept... Yes. It was, like, a little tense because I kept waiting for her to get caught, and then she would just turn it around and, like, make them look, the people who could, like, hurt her look like fools. It was it was really excellent. Uh, the second one was the the one that you liked, the Gates of Jorium. You asked where was the agency, and that's, I mean, that's a good question, and I don't really know how to answer it. I think the reason that I liked it is the way she 
she eventually retains um, the knowledge. Like, at the very beginning of the story, where she's with the magicians, and she asks the wrong questions. Um, later in the story, she's in this cage, and she learns to ask the right questions. Yeah. So, she grows up a little bit, and I thought that was really excellent. And then my third one was the Queen's Garden, where these two sisters... They live in, like, an, um, like a matriarchal society where women, like, are the seat of power. But their father is, since their mother died, is trying to, like, insert the patriarchy and, like, erase their history. And they decide, well, wow, he really doesn't value us that much. He's got to die. It was perfect. It was amazing. I love that story. I love, I love all stories. So, those, oh like, God. those three, those three stories, it was really funny, too. It was really funny. But yes. those three stories were really, really great. The essays we've read before, right? Yes, um, and I actually included the uh, um, the last one. The status quo doesn't need world building in the speculative fiction 2013 collection. So I really liked how she added those essays in to sort of bookend the the the, the introduction between the introduction, the stories themselves, which obviously I didn't read them all, so I don't. I'm not really speaking from a place of full knowledge. But then the essays, they really sort of underline the point that she's making about women and stories, if I could give any writers, like, some essays to help them become better writers, it would be these, like, these four essays. Yeah, because they cover everything. So they're, they're, they're so, like, There's rich a... with, like, not, like, knowledge to make your writing better, to critique how you look at the world so your writing doesn't reflect the really gross cultural garbage exactly and i think it's very helpful for writers but it's also very helpful for readers as well um another thing um i saw her at fantasy con last year in england and um every single panel that she's on it was just superb it was amazing it was full of knowledge it was she was smart she was knowledgeable she was helpful uh it, it was really mind-blowing i just i really admire kate elliott as a person and as an author and sometimes that admiration doesn't happen with a lot of authors i'm glad that I, that i'm able to say that i admire her as a person and as an author as, a, as an author as well it's because all her writing is so considered and she oh, really yeah, takes the time, right, no, to like make you, you understand. Have seen her talking about how she comes up with all of, of of the elements of her worlds and just so much thought that goes into it. It's just amazing. I I went and I bought all of her books after that, right? So I just need time to read them. You own all of them? Yes. That's amazing. You own you even own like the crown of that that one series or her yes. long. Yes. Yes. Oh I my really goodness. Wanna... That's yes. So you uh, surpassed me at this point. <laughs> Congratulations! I don't own all of her stuff yet. I just have it on a list. Yeah, I know. I just, I, I just need time because they are massive books. <laughs> yeah. So one in one of her essays, um, I think it was just because I had been on Tumblr, um, like right before I went to read uh, one of the essays. In one of the essays, and now I can't remember which title it was. I think it was the, the, the one about the gay, male and female gaze. She has a quote. That says, in the U.S. in particular, I perceive what we have, like, as a cultural comfort in looking at women sexually, although this is changing, a discomfort in looking at men sexually, something like that. And 
I was just like, wow. So, so she was like, although this is changing, I'm like, yeah, because Tumblr, Tumblr, and yes. I, and a lot of people like ma like will make fun of Tumblr. Obviously, I've gotten into several arguments this year with people who write Tumblr off as like a platform for girls. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally a platform for girls. Even though a girls, girls specifically, even though most of the people I know who use Tumblr are over thirty. So my whole friend group were I'm thirty two. Uh, we and I use Tumblr, and I have friends that are over forty who use Tumblr better than me, more often than me actually. So this idea, like, so so there are cultural spaces where it's obviously it's being, and on Tumblr, right there. You, we don't just objectify men on Tumblr. We're learning to appreciate women and women's bodies. And I don't think anybody would tell me that I'm just, like not comfortable uh, looking at men, men sexually at this point. I don't know who would make that charge. But I thought that was a really interesting point that depending on what tide pool you're in and like the, the SF fandom tide pool feel, feels so nervous about sexuality. They feel so nervous about it. And it's palpable sometimes. And so she was writing this from, like, I assume from a perspective of looking at this particular fandom that she's, no, like, she's got 20, like, over 20 years experience with this fandom, obviously, this community. So it just feels so interesting to to look at her perspective of this fandom who is just really uncomfortable with sexuality, talking about sexuality, appreciating each other in, in, in like, on a level of attract- attractiveness or whatever versus, you know, what I know is my home community. I thought that was really fascinating. And it goes back to our first discussion this episode as well. And I think that that last essay as well, that she talks about the world building um, and how it affects uh, female characters a lot as well, because if you don't think about it, you are inevitably going to construct a world in which there will be internalized misogyny somewhere, right? If you don't challenge yourself, if you don't question yourself, and then you will inevitably fall into that trap of having a women that belong in either the kitchen or in the bedroom, and if they belong in the bedroom, it's not good enough because it's romance and it's yucky. Yeah, you know, if you ever need anthology ideas, I have so many anthology ideas. <laughs> I could just, we could just have a nonfiction anthology featuring like Tansy and Kate and, you know, Liz. We can just, I can just go out and collect them like Pokemon and we could put them in an anthology <laughs> together, writing amazing things about Pokemon anthologies, about <laughs> sexuality and women. And we could do that. Yes. It would be great. <laughs> cool. So, yes. So, do you know another story that I really liked? Even though we each already picked three. It's fine. You're going to um, break the rules. It's just, yes, it's fine. I'm a rule breaker. That's me. It's another one that I also liked it more after I read it. It was uh, My Voice is My Sword. It was the one of, yeah. about the group that were enacting. It's a, it's a Jaron story. The one I did, they, another one I didn't read because I was terrified of spoilers. They were enacting um, Macbeth, that Scottish play, for a group of four four aliens, right? And mm-hmm. those aliens are, are quite empathic. I'm not going to spoil but it ends in such a way that just made me pause and think, wow, this is fucked up. But also, I felt this. I am also a part of that group 
that had those feelings that then the aliens absorbed and then act on. It was it was really interesting. I don't know how much it spoils of of Jaron. I think you can read it. Well, I'm going to just read. I own the whole thing. I bought it in ebook format. I bought the whole thing. I'm going to individually uh, just finish the whole series. And then I won't be worried about it. And I'll read it happily without worries. <laughs> it was really interesting. Do you know how to know a lot about Macbeth? That's my thing. I took a Shakespeare class and I retained nothing from it. Because the, ter- <laughs> the professor was terrible. The professor was terrible. He was just not a good teacher. So I had the Shakespeare class where the only thing I came out with it with was a love for Her- Helen Mirren in that one remake of the, the thing I can't think of now because I'm really bad with those titles. But yeah, so I, how much do you need to understand Macbeth to understand that story? Nothing. Okay, good. good I don't good think deal. so. I don't think so. I don't I'm think so bad need. at like historical literature. I just skipped it. Even though my entire childhood, we grew up with one of those, like, five-foot bookshelf things, which you can actually Google that term, five-foot bookshelf, um, and it will pop up what it is. It's, like, this collection of, like, philosophy and, like, poems and Greek mythology, Roman mythology. It's got all sorts of stuff in it, and you would think that I would be better. I'm pretty sure the entire work of Shakespeare is in there somewhere, and you would think I'd be better at this stuff because I had all those books at my disposal. No, because I was too busy, like, reading (laughs) Sweet Valley High. I'm sorry terrible person (laughs) right but yeah this what this anthology was really great i hope she continues running short fiction because i really tend to i'm I'm, like i didn't like every story in the anthology like there were some i just didn't get the one called the memory of peace where there's there's two 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 countries at war i got to the end of that one i was like i don't get it and i just felt kind of dumb so (laughs) i mean obviously there's gonna be some hits or misses but i really liked the stories where she had uh, woman, like working together and going on quests and like valuing their yes, no, relationships. it was just yeah, it was really good. And normally I'm just really bad at short fiction that doesn't define the characters, but here it was not a problem. In most of the stories, I really liked the women that I met in these stories yes, a lot. Exactly. Yes, I concur. Let's move on. So Renee, time for recommendations. You go first. What do you have this week? Well, okay, so I'm not going to inflate any more fan work on you this week. Have you have you watched the video from last time, Anna? Silence. I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. So <laughs> I'm no. not even American, and I don't really understand this, but I know that you say this when you don't want to answer the question. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice try. I'm going to email you about it now. I accidentally stumbled across a link about this controversy in quotes uh, above this music video by Sia. And I hadn't heard the song. I hadn't seen the video. Then I went and watched the video, at which point I became obsessed with A, the video, B, the song, C, Dirty Shia LaBeouf. So that's the thing that happened. The song is really good. It's called uh, Elastic Heart by Sia. The video itself features Shia LaBeouf and this this uh, young dancer called Ma- Maggie Ziegler. I think it's what her name is. And they take this video and, like, rip your heart out with it. They are excellent. They are excellent in this video. It's an amazing video. But apparently there was some, you know, drama over the video itself because they're both wearing leotards, like like spandex, or da- they're wearing dance clothes. And they're, like, he, she's wearing this, like, like, a regular leotard. He's wearing some shorts, and they're dirty and rolling around the floor. And there's apparently some cause for alarm when you have an 
an actor who's 28 and a dancer who, a professional dancer, I might add, who's 12, people throw a big fit because they're wearing dance clothes. The comments on this video, even though it's an amazingly artistic video, are just like, this is so gross. I can't believe her parents would allow this. And I just want to be like, I just want to look at people and go, do you do realize that the video is not sexualizing them? It's your brain because you're poisoned by culture. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really curious now. So I know we don't, I know you don't really do music. I, I know you say you just don't have a lot of time to get into music, but this song has pretty much been on repeat for me for okay. for several days now. I think I just think the video is just really well done. I really like Sia's videos anyway, and I've always liked her music. So this is kind of like a bonus because I get an awesome song, but I also get this really amazing video to go with it. So that's my recommendation for this episode. Okay, Everybody I check will it out. definitely check it out. And this time, I am being truthful. <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Right. So my recommendation is a tentative recommendation. Tentative? Tentative? Yes. <laughs> did, did you know that there is a new TV show 12 Monkeys. No. And it's a sci-fi channel no. based on the movie. What? 12 Monkeys. I don't even know what I either know. of these things are. What? <laughs> what is... Okay. So I guess I'm going to watch a, a movie about 12 Monkeys and then check out the TV shows that no, we're telling no, no, me. No, 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 no. Okay, I quit. <laughs> it's time to go. Bye-bye. So we're going to do this every podcast, right? A moment where we, if one of us will want to quit. You haven't watched the 12 Monkeys movie with Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, and Brad Pitt. No. Time travel. <laughs> Time travel to the past and smack Time myself. Time travel Bruce Willis. Like, is that what you're suggesting? Apocalyptic, you know, contagion, flu virus thing. And then he goes back in the past to try to find out the root for that so he can kill the scientists who released this virus into the world and save humankind. And it's fucking awesome, right? So now they have a TV show based on that. It's also, I think it's a story or based on a story, I think. Um, so now they have a sci-fi channel has a new TV show called 12 Monkeys. At the time that this episode is going to be airing, it's there will be three episodes aired so far. Uh, but at this at the time of recording, there's been two, and I only watched the first one, and I really liked it. I really liked it. I'm very uh, hopeful that it's going to go well. And they already changed one major thing, you know, in comparison to the movie, and I really liked that change. That change made the first episode for me. So this is why I say it's the tentative because it can all go to shit at some point because I only watched <laughs> they, one episode so far. They could fuck but, it up. You know, if it's you true. the movie, give it a try. I really liked it. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So that's my recommendation. Okay, well now I have two two things to check out because I haven't seen this movie. Oh, <laughs> I can see that. You have it's... <laughs> Just if, if there is a movie that you like be like, if you, and you're going to be like, Renee, have you seen this movie? Just assume my answer is no. I'm a terrible pop culture citizen oh and okay, so I'm bad at everything. So you're just going to have to point, assume no. At one point, that we will have to do a podcast about that. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm yeah. locked in now. I can't escape. Yes! Woohoo! If you so, never hear from me again, friends, it's because she's locked me in a basement with her collection of, of DVDs. Yes. 
yes, I think that's something that could potentially happen one day. Yeah. Renee, thanks for talking with me this week. Thank you very much. Uh, you can find links to some of the things we discussed today at fangirlhappyhour.com or our Tumblr at fangirlhappyhour.tumblr.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com and find our Twitter feed at fangirlpodcast. For both myself and Renee, thanks for listening. See you next episode. Bye.